0: I want to make mention of something before we get into our lesson today. Um, someone has decided—I'm not sure if it's a national or local event—that today is Orphan Sunday. And if you go to the ta- uh, go out into the foyer here, the kitchen area, whatever we call that, um, there's a table in the back there that has some information from the um, the organization Agape. It's on adoption. It's on foster care. And I want to encourage you to go out there and take a look at that. Um, I know there's a lot of families here who have been involved in adoption and in foster care. And so I'm going to ask just just for our own encouragement. If you have been involved in foster care or if you grew up in a home of foster care or adoption or if you were adopted or you are were in foster care, or you're currently, any way you're connected with adoption or foster care. If you have been involved in that, could you stand up? Let's take a look. I know there's your family, your friend. Yeah. See, I knew there was quite a few. Yeah. There you go. You can you can have a seat. Thank you. Um, now, what what I wanted to mention there is that it's. I mean, it's been a blessing to my to me in my life. My parents were uh, involved in. I'm not sure if it's foster or adoption or both. <laughs> it's a long story. But we grew up, I grew up in a, a, a family of adoption. And my uh, wife grew up in a family of adoption. And so we adopted Angel when she was two days old or began to process. And it's been a great blessing to us. And I want to encourage you that if you've ever considered that, or maybe really if you haven't considered it, and you're, you're in the time of your life where you could consider that, I want you to begin to think about that and pray about that. And it's not something to take lightly. It's something that we are, um, that you have to, um, it, it, there's a devotion there, just like having a child. It's a devotion that takes place when you reach out to a family in need, a child in need. Uh, but we need to, I think as Christians, we need to to seriously consider that option as we look at our uh, at expressing our faith and love. I want to read a Facebook post, and I have permission from Tonda, uh Kuhn, and many of us know um, know the work that they have been involved, or the love they've been involved in, in caring for foster uh, children and, and adoption. Um, I should have said, you know, if if we, while while you were standing up, if. Now, I know there's many people who have financially helped in adoption too. They haven't been able to adopt themselves or foster care themselves, but have helped financially. And if I were to ask that, I know we've had several others who who would have been angry with me for asking them to stand up, but but who have financially helped, and that's a that's a part of of uh, uh, helping uh, these children. I'm just going to read one little paragraph. She's been writing, trying to trying to write every. Day, she said, as they are waiting for a court date to come uh, about for their foster children. And so she's been honest with her emotions. And if you'd like to read more about about her thoughts and her prayers and her struggles, uh, you can get to her Facebook uh, page and you can talk to her about that if you want to connect with her that way. But I want to read just one paragraph. She said, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. And she's talking about choosing to. Uh, to adopt and to care for children. This is a choice that our family made. But if we as Christians are not willing to be inconvenienced, get our hands dirty, step outside of our comfort zones, or even have our hearts broken, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) what will, (coughs) excuse me, that's the old laryngitis there. Or even have our hearts broken, what will happen to children what will happen to children uh, like these all over the world? Most of us have strong support systems and are great and great relationships with others around us. We have the capability to heal from hurts. What chance do these children have if no one will ever risk having their heart broken to show them what a family is supposed to look like or what love really feels like? Please pray that we can finish this strong, not crawling to the finish line, and pray that God will raise up other families who can love these children from hard places. And I want to thank you, Tonda, for that, uh, sharing your heart uh, with us. Um, one of our own works with Agape. It is Anna right here, Mosley. Raise your hand at least. And she will be out there at the table to answer any questions that you may have if you're interested in considering adoption or foster care. Uh, she works with Agape and we want to uh, thank her for that good work, and, uh, and we encourage you to participate in, how, in any way that you can. Turn to First John, <coughs> chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. And I've entitled this A Negative Response, but that's just part of the title. The full title is A Negative Response to God's Positive Action that we looked at last week. And last week, we were what we were looking at in verses 12 through 14, this I write to you, I write to you, was motivation. I believe that we're looking at what drives us. The motivation that drives us when we understand who we are in Christ. And I want to be clear and don't want to be misunderstood. And I realize that as as a speaker, I learned a long time ago, I'm not only responsible for what I say, but I'm also responsible for what you think I say. And so when people often ask questions of me and, you know, clarify, I I have to come back and say, you know, this this is really what I'm trying to say. Either I said something like this or I was misunderstood to say something like this, that we last week, that we don't do anything to please the Lord. I didn't mean that if I said it, because the, the scriptures clearly tell us we do do things to please the Lord. Ephesians chapter five, verse uh, 10 says, seek or find out what pleases the Lord. There's this admonition for us to let's search and find out what pleases the Lord. And I'm not sure if Justin read this or not, but he got really close to it. Did you read verse nine of that chapter? I don't even see you wherever you are. Did you read verse nine or do you start at verse 10? Verse nine, chapter, uh, chapter uh, uh, five of second Corinthians says this. We make it our goal. To please him. And so we do do things to try and please the Lord. Later on, we're going to hear John say, God loves us. So we love him. Chapter four, verse 10. And he says it just the opposite way. He says we love him because he first loved us. So God's initiating love causes us to respond in love. And then out of that love flows the desire to. To please God, we don't attempt. And this is what I'm trying to say. We don't attempt to please the Lord in order to receive forgiveness. Most people understand that that there's not something that we do in order to get God's attention. He says, oh, now that you've done that, I I can forgive you. Most people understand that. That is basic paganism. If you believe there's something you do in order to get God's attention so he'll forgive you, that's basic paganism. Also, though, and this is where I think we struggle as Christians, we don't attempt to please the Lord in order to stay in his good graces. We don't attempt to please the Lord in order to uh, for God to say, OK, as long as you are pleasing me, I will continue to forgive you. But we seek to please the Lord Because we love him and we seek and we love him because he first loved us. In other words, the initiation is God. God initiates the love and we respond to that love. God initiates the forgiveness and we respond to that forgiveness. And I believe this. This is a key. It's a small thing, but it's a huge thing. This is a key that will make a huge difference in your life if you learn to respond to his love out of love rather than trying to please the Lord by our own efforts in order to get try to get something from him. Attempting to please God in order for God to get God to respond to you is empty. It's fruitless. It's frustrating. And if you think about it for a while, The more you try to do something to get God's attention, to get him to please you, the more frustrated you are. But learning to please God in response to his love for you, understanding his love for you and responding to that is fulfilling. You remember right from the beginning, we said he wrote this, that our joy will be filled to the full chapter one, verse four. And so we respond to that and we respond to his love and our joy is filled. And it will cause us to mature in Christ, <clears throat> which brings us to a second thing I, I said last week and continue to say. When we when we look at this, it's such good news. It's such good news that it's hard to believe. I said it's too good to be true. My sister Claudia came to me and said "Yet uh, last week, she said it's too good to be true because it's truly the only news that's really too good to be true. Think about that. I mean, you've heard people say, hey, this is too good to be true. And it's, it's good, but it's not that good. You know, this is the only news that's truly too good to be true. It's true. It's really true. And it's really too good. It's really good. And so now we're going to come to a practical way to live out this good news, this good news where he he has come through uh, in these uh, the previous verses. And he says, listen, you know, the Lord, not you will one day know the Lord, you know, the Lord and you have been forgiven. The evil one has been conquered. The word of God abides in you. So what does that look like in our in a practical daily life? And so we see it here in a negative way. He states it in a negative way. It's a negative response to God's positive action. When God has forgiven us, thrown our sins into the depths of the ocean. What's our response to that? And he states it in a negative command. But let's read read it together. Do not love the world, verse 15, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. One command and three reasons. He gives us one command and then he gives us three reasons that we we follow that command. The command is do not love the world. I want to kind of analyze this real quickly. What is the world? What does he mean by the world here? Here, and the context helps us understand that. First of all, he's not speaking of the physical universe. He's not saying, "Do not love the physical universe. Don't love it's the beauty of the of the creation, the beauty of of the order of creation, the things that we see around us." The world. The word "world" actually comes from a word "cosmos." Which is just like our English word, cosmos. And originally it meant an ornament, uh, like a piece of jewelry. This, in, in, God's, in God's way, God created the world beautifully. He created an ornament. This is God's ornament. Our word cosmetics comes from this. This is God's cosmetics. He's his outward show of his, of his glory. We can see the glory of God. In the cosmetics of the world around us. And so he's not saying we can't enjoy the world. He, he can't say you can't go out and and don't enjoy a beautiful sunset. Don't enjoy the mountains. Don't enjoy the vast ocean. No, he's not saying that at all. And he's not talking about people. Sometimes the world talks about people. He's not saying don't love people. Don't love people or anyone in or anyone in the world, the people in the world. Because he himself in John three sixteen said God so loved the world Talking about the people that he gave his one and only son. And so we are to do the same thing. We love people and we share our life that we have in the sun with the world. So he's not talking about the physical universe and he's not talking about people. But what he is saying that we don't love is we don't love the way the world thinks. He says, don't follow the world the way children followed the Pied Piper. Not only the way the world thinks, but the way it acts. The values the world hands to us and says, this is what is valuable. Don't follow the world. Don't share the worldview of the world. Everyone has a worldview. And he says, don't look at the worldview. Don't follow the worldview of the world. The world's thinking, its values, its goals, all that is based on ourselves. Self, he says. And John says, you are to reject that. Do not love the way the world says, go this way, do this, pursue this. Now, what does it mean not to love? Again, we look at the context. The context helps us define the meaning. To love means to be consumed by something. It means to be attracted by it. It means to be compelled by it. It means to be mesmerized by it. You ever hear of starstruck lovers? What's a, you know, we, we see, you know, when you fall in love with someone, you're starstruck. All you do is you just, you look at them and you just can't believe they're so wonderful. And you see them in one dimension is really what you're seeing. You, you don't see any of their faults. You see all the good things about them. You're just kind of focused on them. And they're so wonderful. And everyone else is going, it's not that wonderful. <laughs> But that's what is, you know, we're just looking and mesmerized by that, that by that one person. We see them in a false image. We see them better, more wonderful than they really are. And this is the kind of love that John says, don't have that kind of love to the world. Don't be mesmerized by the world. Don't be consumed by the world and, and the world's claims of what is valuable. The world tells us over and over, this is what's valuable. This is what's important. This is what is wonderful. And he says, don't be starstruck by that. Don't focus on that. All its claims of what is good and wonderful and desirable. The world places before us every single day, every single day. If you listen to the radio or television today, if you read anything today, the world is placing before us a plate of what it calls the wonderful goodies this is the way the life is meant to be. This is how life is meant to live. Pursue this. So I don't even own a TV anymore, as you know. But what is the, uh, the, the commercial? The way life is meant? No. It doesn't get any better than this. That's it. Is that an old commercial? Is that on anymore? People look at me. All right, back 30 years ago. <laughs> You know, it doesn't get any better than this. The world is saying, hey, it doesn't get any better than this. And it's sitting around a campfire drinking beer. All right. It doesn't get any better than this. Really. That's what the world uh, tells us. And then when we look at the world and we see a fruit laden tree. And we see, quoting from Genesis 3, it is good for food. And it's pleasing to the eye. And it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. And we look at Eve and say, how in in the world did she fall for that? And we're doing the same thing. We fall for the same trap. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not give yourself to the world. And then he says, do not. i am kind of going backwards, if you notice. Do not. That's a strong command. It means stop loving the world if you're loving the world. Stop it. It means don't have the habit or fall into the habit of loving the world. Don't get into the habit. Don't fall into the habit. If you're doing it, stop it. So it's an admonition to us who are Christians that if you're involved in loving the world and all of us are tempted by it and all of us fall for it, sometimes he says, stop doing it. It's a warning to stop it. It's a warning to, to listen. The call of the world is... Loud, It's strong. And so be on your guard. It's going to tempt you. Don't do it. And then he gives us three reasons why we're to avoid this temptation of loving the world. The first reason he gives us that we don't love the world or that we shouldn't be loving the world or we need to stop doing it if we are. Is that it's incompatible with God's love? Look at this last half of the of the uh, verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is. It's not in him. God's love is a different kind of love. It's an unworldly love. And it doesn't mix with worldly kind of love. It's kind of like trying to mix oil and water. You can't mix oil and water. Now, some of you scientists have a way of doing it. Forget that. We're just talking about normal, real things. Okay? Real life. When you pour water and oil together, it doesn't mix. It's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot be selfish and selfless at the same time. You cannot be served and serve at the same time. Di- diametrically opposed to one another. It's like saying I can walk north and south at the same time. You can't walk north and south at the same time. You can only go one direction. It cannot be done. And so Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, i am putting it on the screen there. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what we try and do is to say, well, but we can't we can you know, it would make all the excuses We try and do these very things. And Jesus said it clearly. You cannot do it. John said, do not love the world. If you love the world, it will displace your love for God. And conversely, if you love God, it will displace the love that you have for the world. So here's the question. Here's the focus. And we come right back to what I've said several times. Where is your focus? Are you focused on the love of God and what he's done for you? Are you focused on him or are you focused on the world and loving the world? You can't do both. Where's your focus? And when we think about it clearly... Of course, we're going to reject the love of the world It's tempting. We fall into its trap. But when we think about it and Christians have to learn to think, we learn that, of course, we're going to reject the, the, this uh, love of the world. So John then describes the love of the world. This is this is the values of the world. This is how what the world is like. And he gives it three different descriptions. He, he gives it the characteristics of the world, uh, world love and spells it out. The first thing he says, love of the world is like this. It's the lust of the flesh or the desire of the, uh, of the flesh. That's a more literal translation. The NIV tries to expand it, tries to explain it a little bit, and it says, the cravings of the sinful man. That's, that's okay. But the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh is a better translation. Now, what does that mean? I've explained this, had a whole lesson on the flesh. At one time, the desires of the flesh and I did an extensive study on this is flesh, feelings, flesh, our body. OK, what stimulates feelings? It's our nerves and whatever else. Ask a doctor all the things that go on. And our is our, our thinking stimulates our feelings. And someone does something or says something and our feelings uh, come up. All these different things as flesh feelings, our thoughts, our surroundings. Right now, you you feel comfortable, or you feel hot, or you feel stuffy. And some of you are like, why did you even say it? I didn't even think about it until you said it, right? Because that's what happens. Your mind then says, I feel bored. I wish you'd be finished by now, or whatever it is. Something comes into your mind and stimulate your your feelings and then you begin to react on those feelings and so these are some legitimate feelings but then they go beyond what is right that's what lust or desire is talking about it goes beyond what is right and when it goes beyond what is right then they become illegitimate desires it means don't be controlled by your feelings Control your feelings instead of being controlled by your feelings. And so normally when a preacher gets to this passage here, desires of the flesh, he begins to talk about what I call the felony sins. And we talk maybe, maybe sometimes we'll talk lust for food, which is gluttony. A lot of times we avoid that one. Or we'll talk about lust for the opposite sex. Um, gratification of any of these Feelings that go beyond what is right. We talk about smoking and drinking and partying and and most of us weren't involved in any of that last night. Congregation this size, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few. You might be feeling feeling a little bit guilty that you were involved in that. But that's what we kinda concentrate on. But Justin, he read, he read my passage and he read my mind and he asked the question, I believe he said it this way. Are we, he said, we are Edomites. We look at those sins of the Edomites and say, oh, I would never do that. I would never do those bad sins, a murder and all these bad things. But it's any legitimate desire that goes beyond what it should go beyond. It becomes lust of the flesh. Do you know the legitimate desire for sleep when misused it becomes laziness? How many of us struggle with laziness? It moves over into church. All right. Going to church even. We want to put it that way. Where people so live by their feelings that they begin to seek to feel God. They want to feel God. To the point, and this is, this is normal practice today, that church leaders get together and they, de- they, they determine how we're going to make, how we're going to create a feeling in, in our assemblies. And some of you say, well, you don't do a very good job of that. I don't, I don't even try to do a good job of that. That's not my goal, to give you a good feeling about coming here. Some people work themselves into some kind of frenzy trying to feel or experience that they know God. And let me say this, because you're going to misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about your relationship with God, just as there is nothing wrong with you feeling full after you eat. There's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, where is your focus? Are you focusing in on, I have to feel something when I go to church? Or are you focusing in on, I'm coming here to learn and encourage and help, and if I get the feeling, that's a good thing? Or is that my focus, my focus on the feeling? That's the desires of the flesh. That's the lust of the flesh. No matter what area of life it's in, whether it's a religious area or non-religious area, that's the desires of the flesh. And a second way he describes this is the lust of the eyes. And I think this speaks of false values, seeing things in an illegitimate way. Of course, felony sin, we've already mentioned, looking after a woman lustfully is the same as adultery, Jesus said. Of course, that's true. But we don't often think of trying to make myself look good. Look better than I am as lust of the eyes. But that's really what it is. That's where we all, that's where we we really struggle with the lust of the eyes. And it's not just vanity of dress, dressing up in certain ways, but portraying ourselves in any way that appeals to the desire or the cravings of of the flesh. It could be taking credit for something that we didn't do. Have you ever done that? You know, you, someone sees something done, they think you did, and they, hey, good job. And you say, oh, thanks. Lust of the eyes. Make myself look good. We don't say, oh, I, I actually didn't do that. This, you know, the lust of the eyes makes us want to look better than we really are. First Samuel 16, God says to um, Samuel, He says, Yeah, you look at the outward appearance, I'm looking at the heart. And he's speaking about David. He says, God says, I look into your heart. That's where I see what's really going on. Not the outward uh, lust of the eyes. It's anything that's flashy that catches our eyes. Anything that we look at and say, you know, I've got to have that. I want that. I've seen some pictures recently on the Internet. Some really, really, really nice cars. I mean, really, really nice cars. You know what my natural reaction is? I'd love to have that car. I'd love to have that car. But, you know, I, I got thinking, if I had that much money, I'd have to build a, a huge building to house all the cars I really want. I really like. I desire. And then I wouldn't have time to drive them. I mean, it's just it's the lust of eyes. I see that car. Oh, that's a beautiful car. I'll buy that one. And, oh, that's a beautiful car. I'll buy that one. That's a beautiful car. And I'd have... I'm, I'm not kidding. If I had the money and, and it followed my desire... I'd have 30, 40, 50 cars. Lust of the eyes. I'd look good in them too, wouldn't I? Yeah. Lust of the eyes. And that leads us to the third description. Pride of life is what one translation, most, best translation says, I think. NIV says the boasting of what he has and does. It's difficult to translate that correctly, but that's, that's good too. It's a self glorification. It's selfish ambition. It's excessive pride. It, it, that includes pride of race, pride of nationality, family pride, work pride, social status. It's good pride gone bad. There's nothing wrong with being proud that you're a whatever football person you are, fan. That can be excessive, can't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just touched you where it hurts. All you Alabama fans? Pride of life. The boasting. Oh, man, we can preach this of what he has and That's true, though. It's this boasting. Excessive pride. And it's every part of life, as I said, can touch our race. You know, to be proud that I'm white that. I did nothing to do that. You're proud that you're black? You're Hispanic? You did nothing to do to get that. It's God's gift to you. You're proud of it, but not this kind of proud. It's going beyond that. You see, I'm better than you because I'm whatever I am. Because I'm older than you. <laughs> or whatever color or whatever it may be. He said, That's the pride of life. It's the kind of pride the Pharisees were fond of. They prayed in the way where people would look at them and say, Oh man, look at that person. He's a spiritual person. Sitting at sitting at the heads of tables at good party. The pride of life, that word life means, it, it, the word is bios, like biology. It's, it's life, life that is here, the temporal life. Proud of what we have right here. We're proud of this building, we're proud of our house, proud of our cars, proud of our whatever it is we have. And he says, that's, that's not, that's worldly things, worldly thinking. And as I thought about this, there's a, a strange, averse pride that takes place. Some take pride in their education. Some take pride that they're not educated. Some take pride in their wealth. Some take pride in their poverty. Well, I don't need nothing from nobody. Showing both their poverty and their lack of education with the triple negative. (laughs) But, you know, what we do, it's it's really weird how that happens. That we, we, we look at people who are who pride of their wealth and say, oh, how terrible that is. But then we who have struggled in poverty, we're pride that. We're proud, proudful that we've gone through our poverty, or that we're currently in it, and it doesn't matter which way it goes. It's wrong. Don't do that, he says. And all these three things—the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life—they have one thing in common: me, centered on me, my feelings, how I see things, and what I'm proud of. Says that's not the way to live. You see how this is incompatible with God's love? When we look at God's love and we look at this kind of love, we see how it's totally opposed to the other. How, how it's wrong, how it's incompatible with God's love. But the second reason we do not love the world is the world is fleeting. Look at verse 17. First part of 17. He says the world and its desires pass away as permanent as this world feels. Here's the truth. It's passing. It's passing. It's going away. All the feelings that you have, all the lust that we have that causes so much grief and so much frustration. He says these are temporary. They're fleeting. They're brief. James says our life is like this. It's like a mist that comes up and then it goes away. That's your life. It's fleeting. Have you ever seen someone who puts so much importance and stress on something that's really not important? And we say, you know, you need to get a grip on it here. You, have you ever been in a, in a restaurant where someone just gets really upset because they had too much ice in their, in their cup or they had not enough ice and they really get on the waiter or waitress? You know, I can't. and, and you, want, you just want to walk over to them and say, it's a glass of tea. There's people dying. Leave leave the waiter alone. But you don't want to get in a fight, so you don't say anything. But, you know, we can put so much stress on some things sometimes. and, and, and and, And a week from now, we want to remember these things. It's passing. It's fleeting. When we lived in the Fiji Islands, I was able to, along with two of my children, to learn how to scuba dive. It's a beautiful place to scuba dive. I can't remember if this was with Matthew or Angel, but we went to a a place and I can't remember the name of the wall, but it's a beautiful coral wall. We had to go around 40 feet deep and the dive master told us when we get to the bottom, there's going to be a current that's going to push you along. And as you're being pushed along by this current, it's three, four, five miles an hour, strong enough that you couldn't swim up it. We're going, to flow, we're going to go all the way to the end, and then they're going to pick us up at the end there. And he said, just relax and watch the coral pass you by. And it's this beautiful coral wall, literally, that just it was like a screen, a huge screen that just passed us by as we just sat there and floated like this, three, four, five miles an hour. Coral, fish, so many things. And I noticed that if I, I locked on something and I watched it go by... I would miss all this stuff. And so you just had to just after a while just sit there and just watch it go by, watch it go by, watch it go by. And when you're done, it was over. And if you tried to explain and said, well, what I saw, I, all you could say is I saw this kaleidoscope of color and fish and stuff just pass by. And Jane says, that's life. All that stuff, all those frustrations that you have, all those feelings that you have, all those worries that you have. All those problems that you have, they're just going to pass by and the end of your life, you're going to look back and how many of those are you really going to remember? The things that we count so important sometimes, the things that we get so upset about sometimes. You are five minutes late and we just go off on five minutes late. You're not even going to remember that next week. You just let all these little frustrations go by and James says, look, life is fleeting. It's passing by. John says it's going by so quickly. The world its desires. The things that you want, the things that you desire, the things that you lust for, they're passing away. So why are you focused on them? Why are you so worried about those? When it's over, you're not even going to remember them. And the third reason we don't love the world is God's love is eternal. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. The person who lives for God, who does His will. And that's another way of saying who keeps His commands. Do you remember we, we said that? We saw that in chapter 2 verse 3. He keeps His commands, or some translations say obey His commands. This is an expansion of that. As John expands out again in verse 17 here, he says, the person who does the will of God. Keeps His commands means to value, to guard, to hold close. And out of this commands flow his ultimate command to love. The person who does the will of God is the person who does God's, who stays in God's love, who loves with God's love, who grows in God's love. And even though the world is passing away, this person is hunkered down in God's love. And he says, you're a forever person. You know, we want to live We want to be important. We want important things to happen in our lives. And God says, just do my will. And that's what matters. You know that thing you were frustrated about this week, whatever it was, the person you were frustrated at this week, the desire that you had that you said no to, that temptation, is gone now. Something else is coming on its way. Let it pass by. Just do the will of God. That's all you focus on. That's all that really matters. You know, we become like what we love. Have you ever noticed husbands and wives have to have been with each other for years? They start looking like each other. Have you ever noticed that? People have said, Julie and I look alike. We're like brothers and sisters. That's a good thing. Because you're like what you love. You become like what you love. I know there's some story. I was asking Julie about this yesterday. Isn't there some story in mythology that someone looked at something that became like what they were looking at? I couldn't find it. I'll make it up. You know, but there is, you know, there's, you know, you, you become like what you love. And that's what John is saying here is whatever's compelling you, whatever drives you, whatever has your focus, that's what you're going to become like. So John says, do not love. The world. Do not let it become your desire. Do not let it become your focus. Don't let it have your attention. It's temporary. It's a mist. It's going to be gone before you realize it. It lacks value. It lacks significance. It lacks worth. And so you, child of God, seek his desire. Seek his will. Find out. What pleases the Lord and that has great value and will last forever. Let me read to you my paraphrase on these few verses and it will be done. Do not live a world focused life being mes- mesmerized by it while clamoring for its favor and fellowship. For nothing is more incompatible and directly opposed to a God focused life than a world centered existence. If you hug the world close to your heart, you'll squeeze God's love right out of your life. Here's the reason. The whole world system is composed of the gnawing hunger of fulfilling all feelings and the illegitimate desire to pursue whatever appeals to you and the haughty pride of outdoing everyone and bragging about what you've accomplished and accumulated. This does not spring from the Father, but percolates from the cauldron of the world. The world with its never-ending and insatiable yearnings are fleeting and valueless. However, the person who keeps on doing what God desires lives forever. You are forever people if you're in Christ. Seek to do his will.